When Haven started six years ago, um, just, just six and a half years ago, James and Tor, wonderful James and Tor, pioneered Stonehaven and then handed it over to us um, three years ago. So we've been leading that site, my, my wife and I, Jill, we've been leading that site for three years. And um, I've not got up that early today because um, I have an 18-month-old son called Levi, Levi Joshua. We, I like to call him LJ for short, though he doesn't really respond to that yet. Um, he's like, what are you doing, Dad? Um, I mean, that's his default face for me. He's like, what are you doing, Dad? Um, but uh, yes, he... At the moment, five o'clock wake-up calls is his time where he's like, right, I'm up. So I feel like I'm probably a bit zombified, but we're getting there. We're going there. So uh, what I want you to think about, turn of the 21st century. We're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians. Uh, we've been journeying through the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, and we've reached uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And in the turn of the 21st century and all the way through, um, one thing or something has dominated our TV screens when we hit the year 2000, and that is reality television shows. Ever since Big Brother first appeared on the screen, there's like every single kind of reality TV show, isn't there? From Big Brother to The Bake Off, from Strictly to X Factor, and everything in between, love it or hate it, um, we've been consumed uh, by reality television. And one classic reality TV show that I used to like, I've not really watched it recently though, I feel it's gone a little bit downhill, is The Apprentice. Is The Apprentice. Yes, a bit of love for The Apprentice. And I'm sure we could all sing the theme tune of The Apprentice, mainly because it's a classical piece of music. Um, but The Apprentice is Lord Sugar, or Alan, Sir Alan Sugar's hunt to find his next business partner, his next investment, and his innovation. And um, what I loved and used to love about The Apprentice, so they've got a bit, bit extreme now, is they used to make these big, massive claims about how amazing they were. And it's always funny to look back. I've got some written down that you might think, oh my goodness. I mean, you look at them and think, what were they, what were they thinking when they said this? So this guy, he's a little bit smart. He's like, I think outside the box. It's a good start. It's a good start to think outside the box. If I was an apple pie, the apples inside of me would be orange. Don't get that. As a salesperson, I would probably rate myself as the best in Europe. I mean, that's like, gosh, you've started high there, haven't you? And this is my favorite one. One guy said, I am the best thing since bread. Not sliced bread, but bread. That's quite clever, isn't it? But the reality is with The Apprentice, one by one, each week, uh, they get fired in a very dramatic way and they have to take their little miniature suitcase into a London taxi and get taken up to the airport. And all the while they're saying, oh, if only Sir Alan had believed in me or Lord Sugar had believed in me. I mean, I'm, I'm going to make more money than he'll ever make in, in like two weeks. I'll be fine. And the reason I'm telling you that story is that when we boast in our abilities, and it's very easy to do, we can often start looking like a fool. I reckon those people who said those things, they started off over time. They didn't think they were the best thing since bread when they started, but they believed their own hype and it became more ridiculous and more unbelievable that people were like, gosh, they sound like fools. And that's why we watch those things sometimes to see, oh my goodness, I can't believe those people think those things about them. But in the Corinthian church, in our context here, Paul is... Uh, addressing a situation where there are false teachers that have come into the church and they've labeled themselves super apostles. And they've been reacting against Paul. They've been discrediting him, but they've also been talking themselves up, a bit like an apprentice candidate. They've been saying, how great am I? What I've been doing? All they've achieved and all they know. And Paul is using this section 
of this passage to almost play the, the super apostles at their own game and boast in his achievements. But the achievements that he boasts in are very different to what the teachers would boast in. And at the moment, we live in a world, in a society where it's all about status. It's about you've got to fake it before you make it. You've got to have instant fame. You've got to have celebrity. And personal boasting in this day and age is common currency of getting up in the ladder in the world. People boast all the time about family, about our jobs, about relationship, about our singleness, about famous people we've met, about whatever we want to boast about. But how in this landscape do we live as a Christian? We have a dilemma where we want to glorify Jesus. We want to lift him up. We want to boast in him. But we don't want to fall into that trap of boasting about ourselves. So how do we avoid that trap of boasting but still share the good news? That's my question today. That's the thing I want to think about today. Of How do we boast in Jesus but not in ourselves? And Paul gives us the answers here in our passage here. We're in 2 Corinthians uh, 11 verses 21 to 33. It'll just appear on screen uh, behind me, and I'll just read that out now for us. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. To recap, he's been in danger, basically there. Continuing, verse 27. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Amen. So how do we avoid the trap of boasting while still sharing that good news? Before we dive into this passage fully, there's a couple of things of context, just some background that we need to lay down. The first thing was the Corinthian church was having an identity crisis. Life in the Corinthian church had been tough. It was a Roman-occupied territory, and they were starting uh, to feel the pressure of uh, all that culture around them. They were trying to live the good way, but actually, they were starting to be consumed, starting to be seduced by this exciting uh, way of speaking that these false teachers were bringing, this persuasive teaching, and also this idea of fame 
and celebrity. So they're starting to think, oh, actually, the Christian life, that can be a bit easier than what we've experienced before. Oh, actually, that can be, if we follow these guys, then actually we'll get a bit of a step up in life that we wouldn't have before with Paul. Um, so they're having an identity crisis. Also, the false teachers, they are embracing this superstar pedestal. So these teachers, they've fooled the Corinthian church. They've infiltrated. They've labeled themselves as these super apostles, and they've been reacting to Paul. And um, they've, uh, they've started to actually subvert what the gospel is, what the good news is, and taking people away from the name of Christ. And thirdly, this passage is all about Paul's comic delivery. We don't always think about that in the Bible, that things can be funny, but I, when I read this, I see that Paul, he is uh, telling uh, or saying to the false teachers, he's playing them at their own game. They've been boasting. He's like, right, you want a boasting contest? I'll give you a boasting contest. And we see in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 that this is usually titled Paul's fool's speech. So he's deliberately using parody. He's deliberately using satire. He's um, boasting in things that the teachers would not dare boast about. And he's using comedy here to make a point. So it's okay. We're allowed to use comedy in church sometimes. We can laugh and make, not take ourselves too seriously because actually it's in the Bible. So that's cool, isn't it? Brilliant. Um, so with all that in mind, how, thanks, Tor. With all that in mind, how do we avoid that boasting trap? How do we share the good news? The first thing is integrity is the name of the game. Paul's felt compelled to do his own boasting in this. He does it differently from the false teachers. He's saying he is a fool. He's like, I'm a fool. But the reality was what he's saying is that actually the Corinthians themselves, the teachers themselves, they are the fools to be seduced to share those things. In verse 20, uh, Paul does not uh, hold back his punches. He says, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, exploits you, takes advantage of you, puts on, puts on airs, or slaps you in the face. Shots fired by Paul there, isn't it? Gosh, he's like saying, these are the people that you put up with. And the reason that he's saying that is because these false teachers, they've been using their heritage, their qualifications to take advantage of the church. And he's calling these people out. And we see in verses 22 and 23, he asks four rhetorical questions of their qualifications. He asks them, are they Hebrews? Are they Israelites? Are they descendants of Abraham? Are they servants of Christ? He asked those four rhetorical questions because they would answer, yes, they are, but so is Paul. And actually, he can boast in all of these areas and he can be as well known in his pedigree and he is probably much more qualified than any of these other teachers. If you were to play a game of top trumps with Paul in those categories, basically you'd lose. That's what's going to happen. He'd be 10, 10, 10, 10 all the way through. He's like the, the cheat card that you could never beat. Paul has all that power he has all those qualifications. But what does he use that for? He doesn't use it to boast, to elevate himself. But he uses it for deep care and love for the church. He lists those sufferings in verses 23 to 29. All that he has endured. All those beatings, all the time he's gone without sleep, without food. All the things he's endured, and in its climax of that is in verses 28 and 29, where he says, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin 
and I do not inwardly burn. Paul cares for the church. He cares for the Corinthian people. His highest concern is for them. He gives up his own status to match the weaknesses of the Corinthians. And his integrity shines through. This is what he's been saying, and this is actually as well what he's been doing. His integrity shines through. We've already seen that earlier uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, where he says, we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of man. He wants to make it very clear that with Paul, what you see is what you get. What he shares from the pulpit is how he lives his life. And Jesus, on the Sermon of the Mount, teaches to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Integrity is about being honest, about doing what you mean. And one definition I found, it was about the state of being whole and undivided. I love that definition, but also I'm super challenged by that definition. Whole and undivided. Um, You may have just arrived here uh, to back from holidays, or you may have just arrived uh, to start university here in Aberdeen. I remember when I started university in Aberdeen, that was 2006. That's 13 years ago. My goodness. I mean, some of you have probably been starting primary school when I started university. I'm a bit of a crisis as we speak. Um, But I remember going to university, and I was coming to this church. I'd been around. I loved church on Sundays, but I didn't really do anything about that uh, in my week life. I kind of was very much, this is my Sunday life this is the rest of my life life. I'll live like that. And I was playing rugby, and I love playing rugby, but also with rugby, there's a slight culture where uh, you go for a couple of drinks. Um, that leads to a little bit more than that. Um, and various, I loved going out. I also came to church on Sundays. And I remember that the first week of university, we were all in our halls. I was with my rugby mates. We were chatting. And then uh, some people from the Christian Union came around giving out some free hot chocolate or something like that. Really nice thing to do, just saying, hey, welcome to university. It's so good to see you. Here's some free hot chocolate. We're all like, oh, yes, fine, thanks. Yeah, some hot chocolate. Closed the, the room door. And then after that, that's when the ribbon started. It was like, oh, my goodness. Who do these Christians think they are? What do they think they're doing? And I had the moment where I could be like, I could stand up for what I do on a Sunday morning. Or I could go along with it. And I distinctly remember, I was like, yeah, what a bunch of losers. And in that moment, I knew what I was saying and what I was living were completely different. And that took me down a path where I was almost those two paths that were interlinked were then getting more and more apart. And it was only God's grace and God's mercy after a couple of years that he brought me back. And he said to me and he challenged me, you have to live what you believe. You can't just do one thing, say one thing and do the other, but actually you need to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. And I'm incredibly forever grateful for that. But the point is that what we say matters. What we say matters. What we share with our lips, if it's different to what we do with our feet, then there's a crisis that we have, isn't there? There's something that's not right. And we need to have that lined up. That integrity is the name of the game. We need to walk with that integrity. I read a quote recently by Billy Graham where he said, integrity is the glue that holds our way of life together. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. Are, we, are our words matching up with our actions? 
That's Paul's example here. He is whole and undivided towards his people. And to avoid that trap of boasting and still share the good news, keeping our integrity is crucial. You might be aware of an area in your life right now where you're like, actually, that just doesn't match up. Could be in relationships, could be in finances, could be in some other area, telling people what you do at the weekend. But the Holy Spirit might just be revealing something to you now. And if that's you, if you know, oh, actually, that just doesn't match up, we would love to pray for you at the end. God is a gracious God. He always offers redemption. He always offers hope. And we want to bring that today. And the false teachers, to paraphrase the 80s film classic Top Gun, they were, their words were writing checks that their actions couldn't cash. So they were saying one thing, but they were doing another. And if boasting is the currency of the world, it's a bit like what I have here. This looks very impressive. It's a bit like Monopoly money, isn't it? You can boast and you can send out all these things and you'll be like, yes, I am absolutely loaded. But actually, if you take that into a shop and say, I'd like to buy your finest beverage, whatever that may be, they're going to laugh at you, aren't they? Because they're like, that doesn't cost it. Sorry, I should probably turn it the right way around. There you go, there's Monopoly money. Integrity is the, the cash in your pocket, isn't it? It takes time to earn, takes time to, to use, but actually when you put it down on the, the, the counter, that's the word I'm looking for, when you put it down on the counter, you get what you paid for. That's how we should live. That's how we should combat the boasting by being having that integrity. So integrity is the name of the game. Secondly, perseverance is our reality. I don't know about you, but one of the things that always makes me nervous, even if I've um, done loads of them before, are job interviews. I get really nervous at job interviews. Does anyone else, does anyone, does anyone really love job interviews? Anyone, anyone brave? Yes, yes, well done. Um, I, I, I don't know how you do that, but there you go. One of the things I really don't like about job interviews is those random questions that they bring up that they kind of put in to kind of trip you up. It's like, where do you see yourself in five years' time? Like, uh, hopefully working with you still? Is that what you want me to say? I don't know. You know, those kind of things. And recently, though, I read, to make myself a little bit better, I read that the recruitment company Reed, they recently asked their recruiters the worst answers they've heard in job history. And um, some of them go like this, right? So a guy gets asked, what makes you unique? Paused, thought for a while, and then he slammed his fist down on the table and exclaimed proudly, I have a varied, hairy chest. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what job he was going for, but I don't think that went well. Another one, a lady, she'd completed her interview. She was great. She was the perfect fit for the job. The guy was like, I was just about to offer the job. I said, here you go. You can start on Monday. At which point she said, thanks very much. Can my boyfriend have the job instead? Never met the boyfriend. How does that even work? How would you? Oh, yeah, sure. No. Finally, I like this because of the geographical location of it. A man moves to the UK. Uh, he's from Central Europe. He's moved all of his stuff over to the UK. He's pretty confident he gets the job, and he does get the job. And he was then asked where his new home was, and he said, centre of Aberdeen. Great. The job's in Brighton. He hadn't worked out quite the geography of that. And the point of that is, if Paul was going for a job interview, he'd be shown the door for his boasts. In the Roman world, the boasts that they talked about were like, when I was governor, when I ran for election. Paul doesn't share those boasts. Instead of sharing stories, he lifts up his shirt and he says, these are my scars. Five times I received from the Jews 
the forty lashes minus one. I was beaten with rods, pelted with stones. He's not only talked the talk, but he's walked the walk. He's walked with perseverance. That's what qualifies him to be an apostle. He's faced those dangers on all sides. The life of a Christian, Paul shows, isn't meant to be an easy one. It's not meant to be the one that the false teachers taught. But it will be worth it. And it will make a difference. And what I want to say to you today is that sometimes the greatest witness we can be is faithfully putting one foot in front of the other. Walking out whatever we're going through, but with Jesus right by our side. Most people don't know this. I try to forget this, but I used to play bass guitar here on a Sunday morning. And uh, I have to say, I was pretty rubbish. I was genuinely. Like, my first time I played on a Sunday morning, uh, they didn't even amp me up because they knew I wasn't that good. They were like, Ali, you just, you just playing. I was miming, basically. I was miming. No, but I, I joke. I joke. But I wasn't very good. But I was, I was very basic. And I, I can't even do scales now. But what I learned about drums and bass, what I learned about the rhythm section, is if you get the rhythm right, if you get the rhythm consistent, you can build around that and you can create a great song. So I was very, very basic, but I allowed others to shine. I allowed others to build around. And when I think about great bass lines, I think about Another One Bites the Dust. I think about Billie Jean. I think about Seven Nation Army. All those songs are built around bass lines. Boasting is like the loud noise of a guitar solo. It sounds awesome, doesn't it? But you need to get there, don't you? You can't just do a guitar solo on its own as a song. I mean, maybe you can, but we can have a debate about that after. I think that perseverance is like that solid bass line, that boom, 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 boom. I mean, that was literally all I did. Um, but step by step, and you can build around that. That's a, you can build around that with obedience. You can build around that with faith. We want to be per- people who persevere, not just boast, not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And we do that with perseverance. Simon Ponsby says, you can't promote the crucified God and strut around like a peacock. You have to persevere one step in front of the other. That's our foundation. That perseverance is our foundation, the way that we walk. Make sure our actions line up with what we say and to thrive, to be able to uh, share the good news with people while also not boasting. We need to uh, have our integrity as the name of the game. The perseverance is our reality and our Jesus story is the story that we share. So that's our boast. Our Jesus story is our boast. Paul finishes this passage with this really, really random story that doesn't seem to fit. He he shares this in verses 32 to 33. He says, In Damascus, under the king Arestus, had the city of Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. So he was trapped. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. There are various reasons why uh, scholars think that this um, story was added in. Uh, one of the highest honors in Roman military was the Cor- Corona Morellis, um, which does sound like a ranger striker, but it's not. It's actually, what that stands for is the crown of the wall. And that was uh, the first person, if the Roman army was sieging a city, the first person over the wall 
was given this trophy, was given this crown. And as you can imagine, if you're sieging a city and you're the first person over, your probably life expectancy isn't going to be high. So it was usually uh, posthumously given, a bit like equivalent to the Victoria Cross. So some people think that's why uh, Paul put, puts this in, because Paul's the first one over the wall, but he's the first one to escape. And it's almost like this complete countercultural, actually, this is incredibly cowardly, it would seem. But Paul says in verse 30, if I must boast, I boast the things that show my weakness. He's saying that his boast is in Jesus. He's, his boast in the things that glorify him because when he is weak, then he is strong. He's adding this deeper level to the story because when we think about where Paul is going, he's coming from Damascus and then leaving Damascus. And the Paul of Acts 9 came into Damascus a very different man from the one who left. Paul of Acts 9 was sending out murderous threats. He was, want, he was a proud Pharisee wanting to kill followers of the way. And then on that road into Damascus, he met Jesus. He was transformed by Jesus. His life was turned around. And he left Damascus in a basket, through a window, fearful for his life. The one who entered Damascus to persecute Christians left Damascus as a persecuted Christian. Isn't that fascinating? To the world, that's nothing to boast in, but that's Paul's point. That's Paul's point. The only thing we should be boasting in is what glorifies Jesus. When we have opportunity to boast, when people ask us our story, what we can do is we can share the story of what Jesus has done in our lives. And what I love about that as well was Damascus was a significant place for Paul. Entering and leaving, he was two different people. And my challenge for you today is, what is the location, what is the landmark that God has put on your heart to use to glorify him? Maybe it's coming to the city. Maybe you've been at university here before and you're coming back and actually before you felt it was a dark place, but now God has given you an opportunity to speak into light. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's uh, in the family home, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's this nation or another nation. Where are the places that God has put in our hearts to share the love of Jesus with people? I remember when I left school, um, people, my teachers probably had high hopes for me of what I would do. And then I came back a few years later and they found out that I was training to be a pastor. Now, I could see in their minds that their faces were dropping of like, why would you do that? But in that moment, I got to share with some of my teachers, which was quite intimidating because I was still calling them Mr. Whatever as opposed to their first names. Um, I was sharing that actually the reason that I'm doing this is because of what Jesus has done in my life. There will be opportunities for all of us like that to think about. What are those places, those landmarks where we can use our story for, to glorify God? So to avoid that trap of boasting, whilst sharing the good news, we need to speak with integrity. We need to walk with perseverance and remember that our Jesus story is our boast. Why don't we stand and I'll pray.